Hello and welcome to episode number 459 of Smart Podcast Trashy Books. I'm Sarah Wendell and with me today is Tara Scott and we are going to basically exclaim at Dr. Jen Gunter about her newest book, The Menopause Manifesto. We are going to cover what's in the book, the facts and science about menopause, and the history of how predatory patriarchal bullcrap has influenced how we think and talk and learn about menopause. I do want to say that we talk very briefly about weight changes during menopause and how people in medicine treat people based on their weight, which is terrible. So when we start talking about that, if you want to skip ahead, just skip ahead about mm, two minutes. I will have information about where you can find Jen Gunter, where you can find a copy of the Menopause Manifesto in the show notes at smartbitchestrashybooks.com slash podcast. But I'm, I'm sure you knew that already, right? Of course you did. Hello and thank you to our Patreon community. If you have supported the show with a monthly pledge of any amount, you are helping make sure that every episode is transcribed. Hello and welcome to our newest patron, Divine Kitty Cat, which is a most excellent name. Thank you for joining us. If you would like to join the Patreon community, have a look at patreon.com slash smartbitches. This episode of Smart Podcast Trashy Books is brought to you in part by Happy Dance, a premium CBD skincare line from Kristen Bell. If you're familiar with CBD products or if you've never tried them before, Happy Dance is different. Kristen Bell, yes, the actress from The Good Place, co-created Happy Dance so that everyone can add the soothing benefits of CBD skincare to their daily routine. So what does Happy Dance feel like? Well, it's kind of like rubbing a sense of it's going to be okay right into your skin. And I am entirely here for this feeling. That's a very precious commodity. Happy Dance products are made with only the highest quality CBD and premium ingredients. There's a whipped CBD body butter, an incredibly luxurious CBD bath balm, and a multi-purpose CBD coconut melt, and they all smell incredible. I particularly love the whipped body butter. It goes on smooth, it absorbs into my skin really quickly, but the texture is light and it doesn't feel sticky. You know how some body lotions just make you feel tacky? It's not like this at all. Tacky as in sticky, not tacky as in what are you wearing? The fragrance is also absolutely lovely. So it's like a bonus. I take a deep breath to enjoy the scent and then, well, taking deep breaths, which is good for me. The big, brightly colored jar on my countertop also reminds me that if I take a break to rub some into my skin, I get a multi-sensory moment of chill, which is very valuable. Happy Dance is a reliable, consistent, and safe way to try CBD, and the skincare options are a wonderful way to treat yourself and the people you love. Right now, Smart Podcast Trashy Books listeners get 15% off their first Happy Dance order, but only when you go to do a happy dance.com slash Sarah. That's 15% off your first order of happy dance CBD skincare at do a happy dance.com slash Sarah. This podcast is also brought to you by Ewe. Now I've tried a lot of different omega-3 supplements and I have to say Ewe is one of the best I have ever used. Their secret is algae. It's a whole other level than plain fish oil. And here is why I like Ewe. Fish and krill get their omega-3s by consuming algae. That makes algae the original source of omega-3. Iwi's proprietary form of algae leads to 50% more absorption than fish, krill, or other algae oils, the highest absorption of any source of omega-3. With iwi, you skip the middle fish and the nasty fish burps. Iwi's patented formula goes straight to your bloodstream. More absorption, more health benefits. Iwi's products are plant-based, sustainably sourced, and farmed in the U.S., 
I've taken a lot of different fish and krill supplements for a long time, and Iwi has completely eliminated the weird smell, the off-putting odor in the bottle, and yeah, the fish burps are all gone. Yes. If you would like to try a different omega-3 supplement and see if you like Iwi as much as I do, listen up. Go to iwilife.com slash Sarah and use code Sarah to save 30% on your first purchase. Take advantage of this limited time offer today. Go to iwilife.com slash Sarah and use code Sarah to take 30% off your first purchase. iwilife.com slash Sarah, code Sarah. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, cure, treat, or prevent any disease. This episode was also brought to you in part by June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game that several of you have downloaded and started playing along with me. It's so much fun. A special hello to Megan, Sue, Quilt Queen, Meddling Adult, Alyssa, and Atalapas, who are all part of the SBTV Romance Club inside June's Journey. June's Journey is a hidden object murder mystery set in the 20s. You play as June Parker, an amateur detective investigating the mysterious death of her sister, you progress through the mystery by gathering clues found in different scenes and you level up by building and restoring the property where June is living. There are so many different elements and June's hat is fabulous. But the heart of the game is the hidden object scenes where you try to find as many objects as quickly and accurately as you can. It's really easy to get caught up trying to beat my last score. I really like the puzzle challenges and I like testing my memory, but I really love how relaxing it is. I use June's Journey as a reward throughout my day. When I needed a break, I do a few puzzles and then I go back to my to-do list with a very happy brain because my brain loves solving things. And I keep going through each chapter because I want to know what happens next. It's puzzles and a story. It is perfect. Join 30 million fans across the globe and awaken your inner detective with June's Journey. It's free to download on your phone or tablet. There are endless hours of fun as you search for hidden objects and collect clues to solve the mystery, with thousands of intricate scenes and new chapters added every week. You can download June's Journey for free today on the Apple App Store or Google Play. And if you're playing June's Journey, please let me know how you like it and join our club. We're having such fun. Stay tuned at the end of the episode for news about Dr. Gunter's new awesome podcast and, as usual, an absolutely dreadful joke, one that I have told many people this week. Let's get started with Tara and me and Dr. Jen Gunter about the menopause manifesto. Tara and I are so excited that you're here. Tara has a very demanding job and told her office, I'm not available. Don't even talk to me while we're doing this. This is like, this is such a thrill for us, right, Tara? Oh yeah. No, absolutely. Like you to me are like a superhero. I loved seeing you go after Vagisil most recently. (laughs) Um, I have two daughters, they're nine and six. And, you know, some of those messages are already hitting my nine-year-old. Which is like, how is that possible when she's doing school from home and <laughs> all that? And yet it's happening. And she, like, she's asking those questions that are very much informed by the patriarchy. And so I love knowing that there's somebody out there that's just going, what are you doing? You are predators. So just also as, um, as a human and as a mother, thank you so much for everything that you do because it, it helps me as I'm preparing to hopefully keep some of that fuckery 
off my kids' shoulders. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, it's, it's getting worse. You know, since I wrote the Vagina Bible, like I said, I wrote it in 2018, it was published in 2019. I swear it's become worse, you know, with, you know, TikTok and Instagram, the messaging and the companies and the predators who make this stuff, they're all predators. doesn't matter if it's a quote, quote, natural product or whatever. Um, They're really have are really leveraging that it's frightening. And I think the best way is to, you know, inoculate your kids early to, you know, the, the lies and the messaging and, you know, um, and, but it's really sad to see, to hear like a nine-year-old getting that messaging. Like it feels like, you know, we're like 5,000 years ago, like how different are we? I feel like it perfectly uh, lends to the first question that we had for you, (laughs) (laughs) which is a thing that really struck me almost immediately is that the menopause manifesto really is a manifesto as much as it is this informative health guide. Um, And patriarchy is, you know, rightly so the villain. So how would you say like, in how many ways is patriarchy a villainous presence when it comes to menopause? You know, yeah. So when I started writing it, I I was, there's no way I could write this book without, without showing the patriarchy for the villain it is. Because essentially, since the beginning of recorded time, you know, menopausal women specifically have basically been written out of the picture. You know, we are sort of, we are like the non-existent. We're not even worthy of shame. You know, we don't even get the derision. We're just like an appendage, a useless appendage. And, you know, this is clearly not supported by evolutionary data. And the fact that, you know, we are probably all here in large part due to grandmothers and this hypothesis that historical women in menopause helped to drive evolution. So this, I, so it's like the ultimate sort of perversion of the truth. And, you know, you run this reproductive gauntlet your whole life. You're, you know, you're, you're at the whims of your ovaries and you're bleeding. And, and even if you're someone who has never had a menstrual problem and never had, never had any health issues, really, you had perfect pregnancies, you popped your kids out after four hour labors, you're just, you had like everything perfect. You're still judged for your biology. You're still judged for it. You even judged for it if you never use your biology, right? The fact that you have that equipment, you are judged for it. And I just, I was just done with it. I'm like, I'm just done with the judging. I'm done with the lies. And the best way I think for people to see is to show how these lies were crafted. And so that's why there's a lot of historical information in the book and to give you information so you can have the facts to advocate for yourself. You write that it's an act of feminism to know how your body works, but to also have the language to talk about it. And in the history, you talk about how the there was a lot of talk about it, and then it all went away, and now it's coming back. And I'm curious, has the language around menopause with your patients begun to change at all, or are you hoping that this book will create that change? Um, because it, it, having the ability to actually talk about what is happening and using words that make sense is deeply empowering. Have, have you noticed that language changing at all? Unfortunately, I've noticed it changing in bad ways. And it, it's really, yeah. Pre- and it gets back to the same predatory messaging that goes to the, you know, nine-year-olds. It's predatory messaging about so-called bioidentical hormones. It's predatory messaging about pl- so-called plant-based hormones. Predatory messaging about you have to have a bowel movement once a day to regulate your estrogen levels. So all these lies about how the body works um, are, you know, are now, you know, menopause is 
an untapped financial um, goldmine, right? So it's the same. It's So these aren't good conversations. These are companies promoting unnecessary tests. These are naturopaths and functional medicine doctors promoting unnecessary tests and treatments and, um, you know, lies about compounded hormones and all this kind of stuff. And so the language and the facts people are, are, are being given are, are often incorrect. Um, you know, so it's, again, we're seeing sort of the predators run away with the language. Yep. And the minute there's a, a, there's an absence of knowledge, you can either fill it in with, with real knowledge, which is nuanced and not as specific, or you could rush in and make money by scaring the hell out of people. And we all kind of know what's going to happen. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this idea that, you know, now again, if everybody knew about menopause, like a gynecologist, then when that messaging came about, they'd be like, yeah, sorry, man, that's a scam, right? We all want a pill to fix everything. I mean, even doctors, right? But, you know, at least if you have, but I have that information to know it's a scam. I might, I might read the post and go, ooh, and then like, no, no, it's a scam. Pass, Mm -hmm. you know, but everybody should have that. One of my favorite parts is the terminology of menopause, because everyone has a different term, especially terms in other countries that aren't so negative, like the change of life and hot bloom. My personal favorite that I have to share with you is I was standing in line with someone at a conference and she sort of stepped back and sort of fanning herself. She goes, I'm so sorry. I'm having a personal summer right now. Ah, I love that. I love that one. (laughs) What are some of the favorite terms that you discovered as you did your research? Because that was one of my, I love language. I'm a big word nerd. That was probably one of my favorite parts. Oh my gosh. I love that. My personal summer. I'm going to have to add that to my list. Um, I loved hot blooms um, because that's really how it feels. It feels like it's blooming up outside of your head. And, um, and I love the term from, you know, the 1700s, the dodge. So that, you know, women are dodging between periods and dodging between pregnancy. And I'm like, you are always dodging, right? Like that's sort of how it feels. Um, And I heard one, someone recently uh, uh, left a message on my Instagram and uh, her phrase for menopause was, crossing the crimson bridge. I love this so much. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> Isn't that the best? So I think I we love it. crossing the crimson bridge, the dodge, hot blooms, personal summer. I love it. Oh, a good language. <laughs> oh, good. You know, and historically, I mean, before, you know, Dr. Desjardins in the 1800s, I mean, it was just all sort of called like the change you know, yep. or the climacteric. Um, so, you know, more generic, less pejorative terms. Chronification. Yeah. You know, and some people, oh, someone told me that, you know, they're celebrating at calling it their croning. I love that too. <laughs> Sarah, you got to make some merch. <laughs> love this. Oh, yeah, there's well, a whole merch line here for you, Dr. Gunner. The possibilities I, are endless. Welcome oh. to the croning. Yeah. <laughs> Own town population, all of us. Yeah. So you talked about Dr. Leobo. How did you learn about him? And how how easy is it to kind of dive back that far? And how important is it for us to take into account these various historical contexts as we're recognizing and addressing menopause? Like, was the research fun or did you just want to punch a wall all day long? Well, actually, I found it really interesting because it was stuff I hadn't, you know, known. They don't teach you, you know what happened in the 1500s so much in medical school, except to tell you maybe like who named something. And, you know, I, I, I'm very influenced by the idea that we're influenced by things we don't realize. So, you know, how did 
the way people thought about menopause in the 1500s impact the way they thought about it in the 1600s and 1700s? Like we're all sort of a product of that. And how much has, you know, how much has stayed the same? How much has changed? Uh, and so I was really also really trying to, as I address also in the book, sort of explain how like ancient therapies aren't necessarily like all they're cracked up to be by, you know, people who promote them on Instagram. And so I really wanted to understand like the context, like what they thought about bodies and how they came up with these treatments. And so, you know, it just took, you know, a lot of research. Unfortunately, there's amazing, you know, medical historians and, um, you know, medical anthropologists, you know, and so that's where a lot of the information came from. But it's really interesting, you know, now because of these efforts to archive everything digitally, you know, that first formal manuscript on menopause from the 1700s, I found it online through Google Books. What? Yeah. So oh, I, you know, I mean, it's in Latin, so I had to get it, you know, but then through Google Translate, right, you can, you know, I know some Latin words that, you know, you're able to all of a sudden have this access to these documents. You know, I have um, Dr. Desjardins' original um, dissertation from uh, 1816. I found it online. Wow. That's, that's nice cool. part about living in the future. I wanted to know like what this man who named it contributed and it contributed very little, like clearly that we should be changing the name. Um, and the idea that, you know, his, his term was really supposed to be like, it was meant to be the end of men's of menses, but the way, the way palsy in Greek, which is stop sounds in English is pause, right? And so now the word's taken on sort of this you know, menopause as opposed to menaces or menastop. The, the snark is very, very strong. Oh, yes. <laughs> the menopause manifesto. And, well played. Um, to me, I felt like it was even more so than in the vagina Bible. And just was it a conscious choice to be snarkier? Or are you just like, is your jar of fucks completely empty at this yeah, point? Yeah, there are no fucks left to give in this household, I think. Um, yeah, I mean, and it's so funny, because I really didn't set out to write this sort of like, manifesto. And I really set out to write, oh, you know, your girlfriend's guide to menopause. And um, as I started doing all this historical research, I just realized that book wasn't possible, that you have to reconcile, you have to reconcile the past because that's informing how we're thinking. And also that past is being distorted by the people selling natural products. You know, if compounded hormones weren't 40% of the market, I wouldn't probably have had to, you know, maybe, maybe I still would have, but you know, the fact that a lot of this sort of historical information is being repurposed. I mean, we see purity culture and all of this in, you know, in the natural marketing, you know, they use the same terminology, pure, clean, natural. Like, are you talking about a religion, a religion? Are you talking about, you know, the entry requirements for a new TV show, America's Next Virgin Bride, like, you know, and all of that being repurposed for menopause. And so, you know, I felt like I just had to, I had to go for it. And I mean, that might not speak to everybody, but I think the oppressive weight of the patriarchy on menopause is still so profound. And if people aren't angry about it, they should be. Mm -hmm. It's also present in the fact that when you look at what is known about menopause, which is despicably little, it's the erasure and the pushing aside of an entire segment of population that is still alive. Yeah. We're not, we're, we're not paused. We're not dead. It's just a change, right. but we don't get written about. Meanwhile, you know, men, God forbid they have the slightest problem. It's all good. 
Um, yeah. I mean, George Clooney is, George Clooney is the sexiest man, right? Or has, was definitely over 50. Um, how many women over 50 have been on the cover of People magazine as the sexiest woman alive? I don't know if you've, you've got the, um, the newest Netflix movies, but this weekend we watched a movie that just came out on Netflix called Thunder Force. And it stars Melissa McCarthy and Octavia Spencer as crime-fighting superheroes. And I'm like, hold the phone. Two 50-year-old women get to be the heroines of a superhero crime-fighting movie? I shouldn't right. be so delighted about this, but how many times have I seen Adam Sandler do that same thing? I'm right. going to see Adam Sandler in his 80s doing that, right? And it's going right. to be completely normal. But I am delighted to see older women who have normal bodies for older women kicking ass right. and looking really good. Absolutely. I mean, I think, um, you know, actually my favorite movie still is Melissa McCarthy's Spy, which oh, is... Oh, it's so good. I laughed until I wept. <laughs> oh my God. Just the first time I saw it. <laughs> like I've seen that movie probably 30 or 40 times. I'm not ashamed to admit my kids. It's one of their favorite movies. Every single time, every line in that movie. And to see her just being unabashedly her and kick ass and all the, 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 the women. And it's just, it's a perfect movie. And why can't she be an action star? Everybody can be an action star. It's fantasy. And, um, and she's just, she's amazing, totally believable in the character. I, I'm like, why can't you make Spy 2? I'm waiting. We will be right back with more from Jen Gunter. But first, Wilbur, my feline assistant audio engineer, would like me to tell you about Pretty Litter. Wilbur allows me to use his room, which I thought was my office. I was wrong. And he makes sure we all keep to the schedule on the second floor, which is where all of the learning from home is going on, too. The only downside to sharing my office, excuse me, Wilbur's room with him is that his litter box is right there and it is not a big room. But thanks to Pretty Litter, this is not a problem. Pretty Litter is kitty litter reinvented. Unlike traditional litter, Pretty Litter's super light crystals trap odor and release moisture resulting in dry, low-maintenance litter that doesn't smell. And Pretty Litter is virtually dust-free because it's manufactured with a specialized de-dusting process. Pretty Litter arrives safely at my door in a small, lightweight bag that lasts up to a month. Now that I get litter bags auto-shipped, I don't have to deal with last-minute trips to the store, and I don't have to carry that massively heavy bag up from the car, and shipping is free! But above all else, here's why Pretty Litter is a pet parent's hero. It's a health indicator. Pretty Litter monitors my cat's health by changing colors when it detects potential underlying issues. You will not find that kind of innovation in conventional litter. Get the world's smartest litter without leaving home by visiting prettylitter.com and use promo code TRASHY for 20% off your first order. That's prettylitter.com, promo code TRASHY for 20% off. prettylitter.com, promo code TRASHY. And now back to our conversation with Dr. Jen Gunter. You mentioned the grandmother hypothesis, and that's also a very strong feature in the Menopause Manifesto. So what can we all do collectively to try to encourage this different understanding of menopausal women? So I think it needs to be taught in curriculums in schools. I think if you learn about puberty, you should learn about the reverse of puberty. I think if everybody from age, you know, whatever, 9, 10, 11, 12, when sort of human biology is taught, they should learn that. They should learn that menopause isn't a sign of weakness, that, it, that it's not ovarian failure. It's a planned ending, just like pregnancy ends at a point, just like childhood ends at a point. Um, you know, we wouldn't ever say that 
that someone is diseased because they're no longer a child and they've gone through puberty, right? So why do we use that same language? Because, you know, the patriarchal prize of a reproductive aged woman, right? Like that's, that's the, what it boils down to. So I think if everybody learned that, oh, hey, look, you know, um, menopause has played an important role in evolution. You know, maybe if everybody knew that from the beginning, they'd be more inoculated against the misinformation and the disinformation. I was actually angry when I read about it in your book, only because I had never heard it before. Like there was so much of, of your book that infuriated me because I felt like, why wasn't I told this before? I mentioned that I'm French Canadian. Do you know how many aunts I have? I don't. There's too many. <laughs> <laughs> I have a mother. My grandmothers both lived until I was at least in my teens. Like, and yet I was still, there was so much that I had just never heard. And so I've started being that annoying person saying to like a friend who's in their thirties, by the way, yeah, just so you know. Yeah. It's super important. Right. And of course it makes so much sense. It makes so much sense that, you know, you know, so for, you know, for people who are listening, who you might not have read the book yet, um, the hypothesis, which has a lot of good supporting evidence is that, um, the ability to live beyond your ovarian function meant that you were a helpful contributor to your family. And so obviously the very first few people that were, that lived a few years beyond their, their ovaries stopping functioning, um, helped their family have more children. And then those genetics started to perpetuate and so on and so on. And so you can only care, help your, your own children care for their children if you're done. So, so we need this slowing down because, you know, you can't just stop having kids at 52 because then you can't actually be that helpful. But if fertility winds down in the early 40s, then by the time, you know, your children are having children, your kids are your youngest kids, eight, nine, 10 years old and can forage for themselves. So now you can help the next generation. I look at how motherhood and the the sort of the deification of being a mother a mother there's no discussion of what happens when your kids are all grown up like you just disappear from the collective narrative and it's astonishing to think that no i absolutely agree i mean i think it's been you know there's been sort of a patriarchal mind fuck from the beginning like this idea that you know motherhood is is basically as you said a deification that you know um, that there's something holy or special and how much of that comes from, you know, I don't know, like, you know, mother Mary and, you know, Christianity and how much, you know, how much of that is intertwined with it. You know, this forcing people into narrow scripts of motherhood, we would never have evolved if everybody filled a narrow script, right? Right. Because we needed people to push bounds and seek new things and try different things, right? Yeah. So if motherhood had meant to be this sort of narrow, heteronormative, stay-at-home, um, demis- you know, diminutive, dismissive type of you know, life um, that faded away, if every single mother had been like that, no mother would have like, oh, let's try eating this plant or let's try this different way of raising children or let's try it like, like human creativity requires that we we don't all conform, right? Yeah, absolutely. Now, you also wrote that by the time a woman enters her menopausal transition, she has absorbed a lifetime of toxic messages about her size and shape. Yes, can confirm. Too fat, too thin, too big, too small, too much, too little. And sometimes, this was one of my favorite lines, the essence of being a woman is to be in a constant state of apologizing for your body. 
Um, you're very careful in this book about how you discuss weight loss and the way you've even approached your own dieting for 30 plus years as you wrote it. Was that really difficult to to share? And why do you think it's important for us to talk about this collectively? Well, I think that there's so many awful narratives about oh, weight. Yes. Oh, and yes. there is so much fat phobia in medicine. And so many people have come to doctors and been dismissed and said, oh, if you just lose weight, right? And there's a lot of awful backstory to that. But at the same time, weight can also have health implications. Many things can have health implications. You don't want to focus just on that. But I wanted that information to be available for people who were in a mind space that they could to take it in. But I also basically wanted to put a, you know, a trigger warning up about it and saying, you know, if this segment isn't for you, please skip over it. I you really know? appreciated that. You know, I think that you want to try to make it welcoming. You want to try to give people the information. We haven't learned the ways to talk to people appropriately about their health. And it's because we've made it all about body size and shape. And, and so I hoped that, you know, giving some of the, the medical information about, you know, why, why things like where we put our fat matters. Um, you know, and I thought a lot about that because it's so upsetting to me that we focus on the size and shape of a woman, but actually the fat that is the most destructive is the fat that we can't see. We're not even giving them people the right health messages. It's just, and not that health messages should ever be tied to anything negative, but it's just this sort of total absence of discussion about the thing that could actually be useful to somebody. And so, you know, I, I just, I wanted people to have the information. Many people notice that their body changes in menopause. And I think people want to know why that happens. And so why can't we just talk about it that way? You know, that, you know, this is why you should know about it. And, yeah. you know, next. Um, speaking of things that were learned in this book, I had no idea that there was a positive outcome for mesh in cases of bladder problems with menopause and age, I had absorbed the messaging that mesh is terrible and bad and it's, it's going to come and get me. It's going to come in the house and drink all my beer and it's going to take my health away. And it's just very dangerous. Don't go near the mesh. And you're like, actually, no. Also the thing about not having to pee after you have sex, that blew my mind too. I did not know yes, that, that was, one. yeah, I thought the post, I call it the PCU, the postcoital urination. I thought it was a necessary thing. And you're like, that's fine. You're yeah, all right. I was, that was one of the ones where I had this like little pop of anger. Cause I was like, why are family doctors still saying that all the time? What can women do to better advocate for their bladders? <laughs> Let's be real. You know, that's, it's interesting. So the, you know, not peeing after sex has been taken out of all the guidelines now, you know, it's kind of like one of those old, you know, it's one of those things that that people said in the fifties and sixties before they understood the biology, right? Like we didn't have the microbiological ability to, to know a lot of what we know now. So, you know, now we know it's far more complex than just flushing bacteria out of your bladder. Right. Um, so like, for example, there's lots of people with bacteria in their bladder and never get infections. You know, it's, you know, so for example, if you just did a random urine culture and you have no symptoms and you're full of bacteria, we wouldn't treat it. It's not causing a problem. So it's not, you know, so there's a lot more to it than just having bacteria. And I talk about this a bit in the vagina Bible, this sort of this ongoing burden of all these useless things we tell people to do, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yep. And so, and so it feels like you're in a game of twister with your body, 
right? You've, you've put your right arm on the yellow circle and your left arm on the green, but oh wait, but now you have to put your right foot on the blue circle and you're twisted up doing all these things that can't really help you. So then when someone comes along and gives you advice that could help, you're like, oh, fuck it. I can't do it. I'm doing too much. And so my personal theory is all these sort of useless things can sometimes actually be a barrier to to actually getting the right therapy. Because, you know, if five doctors have told you something didn't work, why would you believe the sixth one? I also find, especially with vaginal concerns or urinary pain or anything like that, if you even if you're talking to friends, they all want a solution for you. But it's all the same solutions that you've heard before. And I like wanted to punch one of my friends because I was like, if you talk to me about cotton underwear one more time, I'm going to lose my mind. Right. And think about how many of these things we tell people to do overlap with purity culture. So white cotton underwear, purity culture, peeing after sex, ooh, getting that dirty semen out of you, right? So, you know, so all of these things that we sort of, these hoops all feel like purity hoops to me as well. And once you see it, you can't unsee it. You're like, oh, purity culture, purity culture, purity culture. Yep. The thing that's interesting for me with that is like hearing you talk about purity culture is making me connect other things because I actually grew up in an evangelical church during the height of like in the nineties where you're writing your, you have your promise rings and you're writing that little, I promise to God, I'm going to whatever it was, the true love waits thing. And so seeing like, as I've left the church and as much as I think, you know, these things are behind me, it's like, no, no, it's, it's still, it still keeps going with you because it's a part of the whole system of patriarchy and white supremacy. Like it's all just the same thing. Absolutely. Yeah. They're really, the two systems support each other. I would say that. Yeah. But but back to mesh. Um, Yeah. So not all mesh is bad. Um, You know, just like not all cars are bad. There are some cars that are definitely dangerous and should never be on the road. And there's some cars that if they're driven by the wrong person could be dangerous, but if they're driven by an expert, wouldn't be right. And then there's some cars that everybody can drive. And so there is, you know, a something called a, you know, suburethral sling that is a mesh for incontinence. That's one of the most studied procedures probably in gynecology. And it's very effective. Um, And so, you know, this is what happens when journalists write about it and they either have an agenda, you know, because also a lot of things have been harmful for women's bodies, right? Like the Dalcon shield and, you know, thalidomide. And so we have this history of understudied things. Um, but I think in that zeal, um, some of the good procedures got swept up with the bad. And so I just wanted people to be open to that, that if they're, you know, if their doctor recommend, you know, if they have bad stress urinary incontinence and all these other things aren't working, there is a mesh procedure that's very well studied and, um, you know, very safe. What's your TLDR on the menopause manifesto? Like if, if we were to read it and only take away one thing, if everything else were to follow our brain, what's the one thing you would want to stay there? Other than simmering rage. <laughs> Got plenty well, of that. That's just a baseline, right? Yeah, Isn't that just, just where we all live? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, take one thing away. Um, well, I do think that, you know, the the strength of the grandmother hypothesis, I think that is that, you know, you were not meant to die at 49. We evolved to live for, you know, 20 or 30 years beyond our ovarian function. And that makes us unique. Pardon me. That makes us unique. It's us and... Um, killer whales, tooth whales, which I think is really cool. I think my number two takeaway if I'm allowed to have a second one is- Yeah, um, absolutely. (laughs) As many as you want. (laughs) Is there's a lot of predators in this space. 
And um, there's a lot of people selling you potentially harmful therapies, um, unstudied therapies, therapies I would never use on myself. And, you know, don't you want to, you know, use something that, that, you know, a gynecologist who's an expert in the area would only consider to be safe enough for her. People selling you products have an agenda, you know, and uh, it's really sad. We see so much misinformation in, you know, the, in the menopausal hormone therapy realm, you know, the compounded therapies, as I mentioned earlier, the, you know, the lies about things being plant-based. Um, I guess that would be my other takeaway. All hormones are made in a lab the same way. So if anyone's telling you they have special plant-based hormones, they're lying to you. I think my biggest takeaways were never get your healthcare advice from Facebook and Instagram. Those are not, (laughs) those are not places to get your health advice, but also the unfortunate truth, much like politics and government is that there is no one short definitive answer. Everything is nuanced and complicated. So if you're talking to an actual doctor, you're going to hear things like, well, these studies have shown this, and this is an option, but there is also this, and you have a lot of factors to make a decision. Whereas, you know, Instagram and Facebook with this tiny little space, the answer is this. Well, it's really nice to believe the answer is this, but that's not actually the answer. Things are more complicated and nuanced than that. You know, we all like heuristics, right? We all, I think this is an evolutionary thing. Like, Is the drinking water over there safe or not? You know, is the tiger in that jungle going to kill me or not? Like, I think that, you know, that this appeals to us on sort of a visceral level that we can't really quite explain. Um, And there's probably, I'm sure some brain scientist could explain it, but, but it, it appeals to all of us. And I think that that doesn't work in medicine. And so certainly where I can be absolute, I try to be. But that's why, again, I get back to this idea if everybody had more information about how it all works, then they would see the charlatans for what they were. They would be able to make decisions that, you know, they'd block those people um, and hopefully not be exposed to them and, and sort of spread the, spread the manifesto. I want to ask you about curly hair. And this is a menopause <laughs> story. Okay, so as you can see. Yes, I, I love it. I'm- I got curls going on here, right? I usually have short hair and I didn't get my hair cut for a year because quarantines. And when I was getting my hair cut at one point, I had one curl back in the back of my neck and my hairstylist said, well, you know, maybe you're going through the change of life and your hair is getting curly. And side note, I told a neighbor that story and she went, did you smack her for saying that to you? And I was like, why would I smack my hairdresser for thinking I'm going through menopause? Cause this is not a cause for violence, but apparently in that person's world, right. it's a cause for smacking my hairdresser, which I did not do. Um, I think the change of life is changing my hair. This has never happened before in my entire life, and I am learning to take care of curly hair. It is its own hobby. It, it, is. Is, its own, it, is, it is its own. It's like having a toddler that grows in my head. Um, how are your curls doing? Because I follow you on Instagram and I know that you are on your own curly hair journey. <laughs> menopause make your hair curly? Is my hairdresser onto something here? I mean, I know I there's no yes, no answer. We just covered that, but. I've never heard that. Now, it, I also don't know if there's any data on it. So, hor- you Fair know, so can hormones influence hair follicles? I mean, it wouldn't surprise me. Some people talk about their hair changing around puberty. Um, you know, so chemotherapy so is it, has changed people's oh, hair. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I, I have a friend who finished, you know, chemo about a year ago for breast cancer and her she had pin straight hair, like pin straight. And oh my God, her curls. And she's just <laughs> like, you know, there's she's got some videos on Instagram just pulling the curls out. Like she's like, well, I like I'm like, I mean, it would be sort of as if I grew up, if all of a sudden someone gave me pin straight hair, I'd be like, wow, this isn't me. What are you even, 
<laughs> so how are so your curls doing? <laughs> well, my curls are doing okay. They've just Gorgeous. recently been bleached. So they're a little sad. Um, but, uh, so I had a little extra gray put in my hair. Um, you know, so that's <laughs> as opposed to people hiding it, I decided I was going to lean into the gray. It looks fabulous. Thank you. Uh, but yeah, my curls are doing good. It's that was my quarantine, uh, project. Um, I tried to grow sourdough starter and I killed it. Um, <laughs> I'm very bad with any plants, any, but you're, but you're a gynecologist. Shouldn't you and yeast be like good buds? Like, see, I try to kill the yeast. I look oh, at that. Well, there you go. <laughs> so I'm a yeast killer. That's me. Yeast killer. Better to kill your sourdough starter than your hair. Right. Wow, for sure. <laughs> so anyway, so yes. Yeah, so I killed the sourdough starter. Cause apparently I'm just like dripping in azoles. It's just like emanating from me that, you know, the therapy we use for yeast. So, um, it's not a yeast friendly home. So, uh, but my partner, he's an amazing, so he makes amazing sourdough. So he took over the sourdough starter. He's good with that. Um, and so I decided to embark on a curl journey and to try to, um, you know, get my curls in better shape because, you know, I had time to let things air dry. (laughs) Oh, don't we though? We got lots of time. We're not leaving the house. Exactly. Now you also mentioned this key question. You also mentioned in the menopause manifesto that you had tried out the Lunia PJs. Now I own their travel kit, which is wonderful because the pockets hold so much, but I've never tried the PJs. Which ones did you get? And do you still like them? Um, I got the silk short comb. So it's like little short, like tap shorts and a a sleeveless tank. And it's got a big vent in the back. Um, And I actually really like them. I mean, I was not swayed by their science. And I wish companies like that wouldn't, you know, like, oh, our technology is this and this. I'm like, you know, whatever. It's it's fabric. (laughs) Exactly. But if something feels cool on your skin, you know, feeling cool can help people having hot flashes. I mean, obviously if you feel cool, you're less likely to be hot. Um, and the back fence. And so, yeah, I really like them. They wash fine. I mean, I don't care for them in any special way. They go in the wash with, if basically something requires special washing, it's dead to me. Mm-mm. No, no. My, so, my, my religion is through God. All things are washable. Yes. Oh my God. And it's, and then there's a corollary that if it's not dishwasher safe, it's dead to me. Oh, forget it. Mm-mm. No. Yeah. The dishwasher is the hero of my house in the quarantines. I love my dishwasher. I have a personal relationship with my dishwasher. Oh, mine is a hero. It, 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 it holds my household together. I once sang to my dishwasher, did you ever know that you're my hero? <laughs> I'm going to do that. My teens are going to be like, mom, mom, are you okay? But yeah, so the curl journey, um, yeah, I'm all about just uh, using the right products, trying to let it set, realizing that there's about as much pseudoscience probably in hair care as there is in in medicine. And it's really interesting. So, you know, you see all these influencers with their spectacular curls, like you're just like, like they're so luscious and moist, like you want to reach out and touch them. You know, I follow a couple of curly hair professional like hairstylists. This one was like, I know you all see all those influencers and you just keep buying all those products, but you just really need to get down to basics. And I thought, oh, you sound just like me. <laughs> you sound oh, like Dr. Man. Jen. And so that really spoke to me. So she's like, you just got to focus on your technique. Stop with all the products, the crazy products. What you have is probably fine. And I was like, oh, ooh. Mm. so yeah, so I'm focusing on my technique. Oh, well, I mean, it's, it's similar to what has happened with, with, with menopause, um, you know, collective knowledge. So much about caring for curly hair has come from marginalized women who have been shut out of all of the, you know, the, the 
hair care industry mm-hmm. and the hair care professional accreditation, all of the care for natural hair comes from marginalized women. Um, and now, of course, it's being co-opted and profitized, profitized is that a word? It is now by um, by people who are like, oh, curly hair, I can make money here because there's a lack of knowledge in this area. Right. So it's, it's, yeah. it just repeats itself, right? Like we're just stuck in an international mimeograph machine. Yeah. Themes, you know, I think that that's why you got to learn history or, you know, such a cliche, you're destined to repeat it, but I think it's true. How funny that it's a field that speaks to you. Like, let's just (laughs) simplify. And here, here's all of this pseudo knowledge. Here's what's actually happening. Do you have any book recommendations that you would want to share with listeners? You know, I haven't done a lot of reading in the last year because I've been writing. Um, But I, uh, just a few months ago, I finally read The Untamed Midwife by by Meg Allison. And it is amazing. I can't wait to get the other two books in the series. It's about a dystopian future, which, you know, reading it during the time of lockdown, a dystopian future triggered by, you know, a viral infection. (laughs) Um, But, oh my God, her writing is just amazing. And um, it was just, I felt like I was right there the whole time. It just was really amazing. Sorry, it's the book of the unnamed midwife. Sorry. The book of the unnamed midwife. Yeah, the book of the unnamed midwife. I was like, I had the name wrong. Thank you so much for your time and for pivoting and doing a quick interview about uh, menstrual symptoms and the COVID vaccine. And thank you for your book and all of the ass kicking you do on the internet. It is, it is exhausting to, to be a target, like the way that, the way that you are. And I don't take that lightly to, Mm -hmm. to not only fight, but also take on all the people who are upset by what you do and are, are deploying really disgustingly gross humiliation tactics about it. That's, that's hard work. So thank you for doing that. Oh, thanks. Yeah. I just, you know, I just want everybody to have accurate information about their bodies and that shouldn't really require an act of feminism, but apparently it does. And that brings us to the end of this week's episode. Thank you to Kensington for sending copies of this book to both Tara in Canada and myself. This book was life-changing. And if you or someone you know has been dealing with a lot of misinformation or just struggling with menopause, this book is available right now. And I have links to where you can find a copy, including at your library, in the show notes. You should definitely follow Dr. Jen Gunter, either on Twitter at Dr. Jen Gunter or Instagram, Dr. Jen Gunter. Her website is, you'll never guess, drjengunter.com. But more than anything, I want to recommend her new podcast. She has a new podcast through TED called Body Stuff. The first episode is all about the myth that you need to drink eight glasses of water a day. You do not need to drink eight glasses of water a day. And Body Stuff, episode one, will tell you why. It is all about kidneys and I learned so much. It is terrific. So look for it wherever you get your fine, fine science podcasts. I am curious, though, what are your favorite terms for menopause and what myths have you learned? You can email me and tell me at sbjpodcast at gmail.com. And you know, I love hearing from you. I really, really do. As usual, I end every episode with an absolutely dreadful joke. And this week is no different. Why would I do that to you? Not a chance. Are you ready? I love this joke. Why was there music coming from the printer? Why was there music coming from the printer? The paper was jamming. (laughs) Paper was jamming. (laughs) I hope you like that one as much as I did. I'm still tickled and I've probably told it six times, maybe, maybe seven at this point. Probably more than that. 
the paper was jamming. On behalf of everyone here, we wish you the very best of reading. Have a wonderful weekend. We'll see you back here next week. Smart Podcast Trashy Books is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. You can find more outstanding podcasts to subscribe to at frolic.media slash podcasts. Thank you.